More than the clothes we wear, style is about the way we move through the world. On this episode of Beyond Style Matters, I talk to Indigenous artist and fashion designer Sage Paul. She's passion personified, a young Indigenous artist and fashion designer who's adamant about making her voice heard and raising awareness of the talent and artistry in Indigenous communities throughout Canada. Toronto-born Sage Paul, a proud member of English River First Nation, was instilled with a love of craft from a very young age and went on to study fashion formally and pursue her own fashion dreams. But lately, there's more on Sage's plate than merely her own work. In recent years, Sage has become one of this country's most beloved spokespeople for Indigenous creativity. And having founded Indigenous Fashion Week Toronto, she helps provide a welcome platform for a wide array of artistic creators and sartorial storytellers who remind us of their rich cultural heritage via their spellbinding work. I spoke with Sage Paul, who's currently busy at work on a film project, about her roots, her vision, and her hopes for Indigenous artists and designers going forward. Sage Paul, welcome to this episode of Beyond Style Matters. I'm so happy that you've joined us. I've had so much respect for you for such a long time, even though you're a you're a pretty young kid compared to me. But <laughs> the, for, for the first time I met you, uh, you just you have such a great story to tell, and you represent uh, so many important things, uh, especially at this time. Thank Where you. did you no, grow I'm, up? I grew up in Toronto. I, I was born and raised here, okay. and then I spent my childhood at Gabriel Dumont, which is a, um, I guess it's like native city housing, so I was very much raised around um, my culture and um, people in, in the community, although it was mostly Anishinaabe, not Dene Suthwane, which I'm Dene, but um, it was so awesome to be able to grow up surrounded by that and of course I grew up watching fashion television <laughs> it was like the access that I had with and we had like city tv like we only had a few channels so fashion television was huge in my life but and what about your whole a passion for making things and and being such a creator how did that uh, start my family and the community that I grew up surrounded by very creative uh, family and resourceful. So there's the one aspect where there's like, there's just the creativity and the stories that have been shared with me through like my my dad and my mom and our family members that are more like uh, traditional stories that uh, you would find in any kind of culture, but also like resourceful, you know, we grew up with not very much. So making clothing also became a part where if I wanted new clothes, I, I had to make it because um, we couldn't just run to the run to the store and buy whatever I wanted. Um, so it, it was definitely a, a balance between between those two those two worlds. Um, not to to sound like a cliche, but when I think of the indigenous culture and the incredible respect that there is uh, that and that indigenous people themselves have really garnered for the level of craftsmanship proficiency uh, that they're capable of. Was that something that you were aware of like early, early on? Like, did I, I don't know, did you have a grandmother that, that did that kind of sewing? I was never really, a, I, 
I never saw it as being different from like fashion. I think I was just raised in it. And now that I'm seeing the comparisons, especially with fast fashion coming in, like we don't see this quality of work and craftsmanship and in a lot of in the fashion industry. And but I grew up with family like my grandmother had passed it on to my aunties and um, like all of the aunties who were in Gabriel Dumont, who I got to learn from. So we would sit down and um, get to work with them and learn how to do the beadwork. And my mom and dad had lots of materials around, so I would always just practice. And uh, so it was it was just an important part of, you know, my parents just wanted me to make sure that I knew where I came from. And sewing and beadwork was a huge part of that. I kind of went towards the sewing. I just really loved making clothes, clothing. Uh, my sister is just a phenomenal bead, bead artist and she learned from my auntie. And when she's sitting there learning from my auntie, you know, she was like 16 years old and she was like, oh, I don't want to be here. You know, she was a typical teenager <laughs> and she wanted, but my auntie was like, nope, sit here and we're going to, we're going to bead. And it takes a long time, you know, to figure it out. But like, that's that was that's the role of aunties and grandmas is to just get us to sit there and and learn those those crafts and how grateful uh, we are afterwards yeah so many years later when we realize I mean I see that from my own daughters and the, the crafts that my mom taught them when they were just little and you, you think that you know you get to a certain age you forget about it but somehow it comes back to you in your life it, yeah, it does. It's so amazing. I feel like I had a huge break from working on anything fashion or creating. And, you know, especially when you go through those teen years where you're just trying to find yourself and mm -hmm. you're you're resisting everything that your parents have worked so hard to teach you and show you. And then it just makes that full circle. And um, it's so, I just love it because now my parents are getting older and um, I just feel like a sense of pride when when I get to show my mom and my dad what mm. what I'm learning and hey mom look I'm doing high tanning or dad look I'm gonna <laughs> I'm gonna I'm doing this I'm gonna make this scarf with grandma's like beadwork on it and I'm learning Dene and get to put Dene words on there and so it just I think it's there's a lot of uh, hope and happiness about us carrying on those traditions. Every great conversation needs a pause. So this is the perfect time to talk to you about our sponsor, TSC, who, without their support, this podcast wouldn't be possible. Now, as you might know, I've covered the catwalks of Paris, Milan, New York, and London. And so you might ask, why have I partnered with a retailer like TSC, today's shopping choice? Well, I believe great fashion should be accessible to everyone. And TSC.ca is home to some amazing designers, wonderful Canadians like Brian Bailey, Kim Newport Mimran of Pink Tartan fame, and Hilary McMillan, as well as quality brands like Lamarck and Ron White Shoes. It's one-stop shopping for everything you need to make your own style statement. And of course, TSC offers so much more than mere fashion. Shop tsc.ca and discover some great brands at some great prices. When did you decide that you were really going to study fashion formally and pursue it as a career? <laughs> I actually didn't know what I wanted to do out of school, out of high school. 
So I was like, well, I guess, I guess I'll do fashion. So it was more of a, I felt like I, you know, it's time to go to college. So I, I guess I'll choose fashion. And, you know, I, it was really difficult to see myself in the industry. So I ended up working in the Indigenous arts community for um, a decade, over a decade. And it was there when I worked at the Indigenous Film Festival. It's called Imaginative. The Imaginative Film and Media Arts Festival is where I saw Indigenous people and Indigenous people who grew up in the city and um, were traveling and wanted to use the like film as a medium to tell our traditional stories. And that's where I was like, hey, I can do fashion. I don't, just because I want to do fashion doesn't mean I have to, you know, go do an internship and do it the way that West, typical Western fashion mm-hmm. does. It. It's like I can do what I was taught from my mom, from my dad, from my aunties, and um, which was very recent. I would say like in the early 20, like the teens of the t- t- 2000s. <laughs> yeah. You obviously have, um, a, you know, a great respect for the for the craft and the technique of uh, creativity in fashion, but it seems that there really is something more of fashion um, in Indigenous culture, um, and maybe really in every culture has the potential to really tell stories and really almost become a, a kind of conduit for uh, for change uh, and political change, perhaps. Tell me uh, how you feel about that and, and the power of fashion to be more than just beautiful things that we wear. Oh, my gosh. It's such a powerful medium. And oh, there's so much I want to share about this. It's, that's such a great question. It, it definitely is very, it can be very political. And so that pushed me back to research even just the word fashion. I'm like, where does the word fashion come from? And, you know, people have such uh, specific ideas of what fashion is. When you tell someone who doesn't work in fashion what fashion is, they're like, oh, no, I don't know anything about fashion. But they they actually put on clothes every single day. They are like, they are a part of the fashion industry, whether or not they like it. Though, in you know, not in ways that we see at the, you know, the big runway shows and stuff like that. So looking at fashion, the third fashion, it goes back to Eastern Europe and that's when capitalism was being born and there was the kings and the queens and the monarchies that were, had these lavish like clothing that were like basically marketed to the poor people. And then that, that was like this cycle and then it expanded beyond the world. And so it was that capitalism that I, anyway, from what I read that I saw is like how this word of fashion really practice of fashion has really dominated our understanding of what fashion is. But then in other cultures around the world, like everyone's been dressing ourselves. Adornment is a huge part of every single culture, whether it is, whether it's Eastern Europe or it's Northern, Northern uh, Canada or, or Africa, wherever, right? So it really is, uh, every culture does have that fashion and the adornment. And I do love researching the various materials that are being used. And then also looking at the materials that have been introduced through trade or through colonization and um, how all of the cultures adapt those materials. Because with the beaded floral work that we see so much right now within the indigenous communities, before that we were using things like seeds and, and quills that were dyed in various ways, but the glass beads came in through trade and colonization. So it's just, it's so interesting when we look at that history of fashion and what that means and what that means for our cultures. And then politically, that power that fashion can have. There is the orange shirt day, which is to 
acknowledge and and commemorate and give honor and respect to the survivors of the um, Indian residential school system. And that color is worn every day. It was in September for young ch- and young children wear those shirts today. And then we had that huge atrocity um, of the mass grave that was just uncovered. And orange has become such a powerful color now that represents that crime that was just uncovered. And now we see a lot of Indigenous people who are incorporating that color into their clothing. And a lot of people are looking for that because they want to support the cause. Now, of course, there's like, then that's when things get kind of tricky because that's capitalism and making the money off, like profiting off of an issue. So it's really important then when buying items that are especially politically charged or have really important meaning connected to them of knowing where you're purchasing from. So I've been thinking about this and I'm like, I'm going to make these orange scarves and I've used my dad's artwork and I've used my grandma's beadwork and I'm, I'm making it orange, but I'm giving all the profits to my dad. He's a residential school survivor. And so that's why it's just like, that's, that seems like the best for me where I'm like, there's so many organizations out there that can support it, but it's so just about being transparent about, you know, if we're going to be profiting off of especially political movements or issues that we, we put our money back into where it should be going to. Absolutely. Well, well, it, it, there's no question that uh, you, the passion uh, is going to and has already given birth to so much of your creative drive. I mean, it's, and especially as you say, growing up with a dad who's a residential school survivor. I don't know if he told a lot of stories, if, you know, if he talked about his experiences and, and if you understood as a kid, you know, what that meant, but, but to come from a a survivor father of that nature you know, that that does something to you just the way you see the world for sure oh for sure yeah um he didn't speak much about it and as an adult i definitely see a lot of things that how how that has impacted our our lives and um who we are as you know me and my siblings and um why we are where we are today but i'd say that all of us are doing quite well gratefully and i think it's because we have a dad who is so resilient and you know our, our mom is very supportive of where we come from as well so you know as as hard as it is and it has been a really really difficult week for me um you know, it's really hard to talk about. <laughs> I feel like I'm just kind of tiptoeing around saying specific words because um, it has been really, really difficult. But there is that resilience that comes in and knowing that we we have that strength to push through. Yeah. yeah uh, having followed the fashion scene for as long as I have, <laughs> I've certainly kind of seen it all and seen uh, periods in fashion of shows and collections in fashion where um, the work of Indigenous people with exploited the whole misappropriation of uh indigenous art and story and and I sadly tell you like at the time sometime I didn't even realize how horrible that was but it was just like oh isn't that cute the way they're you know John Galliano incorporated feathers <laughs> into that you know Dior collection of the you know and yeah. the moccasins they were good and now realizing I mean there's been this incredible awareness that really has manifested itself thank God thank God and and I know that so many uh 
people now are doing their bit to make sure that everybody understands just what this is all about. Yeah. It seems almost recently, it, it hasn't been that long that we've had this new awareness. So what an exquisite spot, in a sense, for you to be in as um, an Indigenous artist that really has such a strong point of view, such a such a heightened awareness um, and perception of uh, artistry in your community and, and the incredible power that it holds. And in, in a position where you do have a voice now, Sage, that you've worked for, I mean, I'm sure if, I don't know if it was always like that, but yeah, I always, you had great cred for me the minute I met you, I knew that, <laughs> listen to this woman, she has something to say. So I'm, I'm thinking it's, it's almost like a, I don't know if you feel like it's a responsibility that you have now, or it, how do you find being an Indigenous artist at this particular point in time? I, I think about it every day because there was a time where I was like, I'm just doing my thing and I can explore this or that. And, you know, I, I am in a position of leadership now. I do have this platform, so I do have a responsibility, especially when I'm talking about Indigenous made work. And, uh, you know, I'm, I'm, it's not that I'm speaking for people, but I am trying to create space for more voices to be heard. And um, I need to make sure not to speak incorrectly. And there has been times when I, you know, I have made mistakes and I have to go, okay, this was wrong and I shouldn't have done this or I shouldn't have that done that because Indigenous people, our communities are so different across the board. And when it comes to appropriation, there's even appropriation amongst Indigenous nations. And so there is the importance of making sure representation, especially for a platform like Indigenous Fashion Week Toronto, where you know we want to have a very broad representation of Indigenous people, not only our cultures, but also our bodies, our, our gender expression, all these things that are so important. And we have to make sure to put in these, I guess, policy I hate that word policies, but you know, we have to make sure that we are actually addressing them in ways and being accountable to any mistakes that we have um, as we go through and navigate this new platform. It's so new. And uh, we are coming out of a place, like you said, with appropriation, where it feels like, hey, we just want to do everything and anything. And it's easy to get caught into this kind of trans indigeneity. Um, and so it's really important for us that we are responsible to accurate represent, representation of various Indigenous nations across the board, across, around the world, really, and, and make sure that I am speaking correctly um, about them. So I have to do my research. So my do job does involve a lot of research. And every time I make a mistake, I'm like, oh, my gosh. And I really am just like, hey, I'm not doing my research well enough. I have to keep, I have to do that better. I have to speak with these people more and uh, just make sure that I'm doing the right job because then you know especially when I get to speak with someone like you who I admire so much and I've looked up to like my entire life it's so awesome but then I know like your audiences you know are not necessarily going to be Indigenous people and then they're hearing my voice for the first time and so like sometimes I can be that first point of entry into understanding the world of Indigenous made fashion craft and design kind of where I'm at. Uh, you tread a very interesting kind of path now because initially any, you were a, an aspiring fashion designer, you know, young Canadian talent with a lot of uh, creativity and drive and inspiration. And, and then all of a sudden, as a member of the Indigenous community who 
has this responsibility to really explain things to everybody and and yeah. and make the path maybe a, a little smoother for for some people. I mean, you're you're helping so many people in, in what you're doing as well. How do you you know do both those things? How do you wear both those hats and and uh, keep <laughs> yourself happy as a, a creative person? It's so hard. Um, it is, and, and I really have made my priority Indigenous Fashion Week Toronto right now because I think back to when I was finishing um, school, fashion school. If there had been an Indigenous Fashion Week where I had the opportunity to potentially show up, like that could have been life-changing for me. So I really think it's important that I continue to grow this platform. And, you know, when I'm ready to continue on my journey, that I know that it will continue to live um, and will be here for, you know, if my my little niece, who's three years old right now, you know, when she's 16 years old and wants to decide she wants to do fashion, if she does, maybe she does, that she will have that that spot to do that work. Yeah, it's, finding creativity is is hard. I, I do pick up a couple costume design projects that I feel really committed to and that I really love the story because I still, I think also as someone who is creating these spaces for designers, um, even though I'm not doing the work as much as I used to, that I still understand the craft and the practice and the needs of the designers. So I don't want to be walking and being like, they need more marketing and actually they don't need it at all. I just think it's so, so important to do that. It gives me hope knowing that this space is so important. It has that kind of impact. And so I try to balance, back to your question about balancing, I do my best to balance, but I at times I do sway on what I'm prioritizing. Sustainability is such a big conversation uh, in fashion today on all kinds of levels from, you know, the, the smallest kind of makers to the biggest uh, fashion conglomerates and everyone's concerned about this. We have to be, you know, for the sake mm-hmm. of the planet. But it's something that's been so inherent in Indigenous um, artistry and Indigenous fashion. Really, from the beginning, it was all about that. It was all about the relationship to the land uh, that gave birth to all these beautiful creations. Can you talk a bit about that and, and how uh, how sustainability is uh, playing maybe even a greater role, if that was possible, in Indigenous hearts and minds? Yeah, well, like you said, it's always been there, part of the part of the work that we're creating, and it, it involves the entire community. So um, like my, my uncle or my cousin, Panta Moose, and they know that they're going to have the skin, so we make the leather from it. And and we don't waste any part of the animal and then of course there's like actually using materials from the land for weaving and for dyeing although it is very laborious and um i and i understand that accessibility is i mean like when we're talking about the larger fashion industry as an industry um it it can be very challenging to look at how to make a sustainable business so I, I feel like that is now something that is being looked at because a lot of uh, designers in the Indigenous communities uh, around the world are selling beautiful works that are like everything is sustainable, but the prices are very, very high. And I mean, to be, it has to be. And I, it really is like um, the evolution of couture. Well, it's, I don't know, it's always been here. So I don't know if it's evolution, but I think for the industry, it really feels like an evolution to that kind of couture mm-hmm. work and bringing back that idea and understanding of couture. Because people call things couture and it's not really couture. And it's like, so, you know, but it's like bringing back that couture, bringing back this idea of luxury and 
um, heirloom and heritage pieces that and shifting the consumer's understanding of what why things would cost so much. And I see most designers I work with in the community are aware of sustainability and are concerned about working with local um, manufacturers or local hunters and where their fur is coming from. Fur and leather are always the big one, but uh, just making sure that we know where everything comes from. Mm -hmm. The internet has provided a platform to provide information and knowledge to consumers about where that all comes from. Where do you see Indigenous fashion going, especially out of Canada? And Canadians you know, have such a glorious Indigenous kind of history and, and so many wonderful, wonderful people right across the land who have so much talent to offer. Oh my gosh, I, I just see it growing. And at Indigenous Fashion Week Toronto, we are going through a brand rebranding, but <laughs> um, yeah. that will be released soon. But um, the reason why I'm saying this is because we do more than just the Fashion Week. We do act as an incubator and we act as, um, we provide opportunities that help to foster Indigenous designers. We're primarily focused on Canada right now, but it would be nice to broaden that to allow for some exchange between Indigenous designers from around the world. But I think it's really important to foster um, Indigenous designers to understand the larger fashion industry and those business, the way that it operates so that we can continue to be an important part of the industry, of this economy that we are all a part of. So we do make sure to do that. Um, although with that training and um, those resources that we provide, we do also provide training around values-based entrepreneurship to make sure that designers are not entering into a relationship with, I don't know who, for anyway, with some mainstream fashion brand, right? <laughs> and they walk in there and they are like, just, it's like a David and Goliath kind of situation. And we don't want that to happen to designers. We don't want designers to feel like they have to change everything who they are. And, you know, some artists and designers are just happy with where they're at too. Like some designers are like, no, I, I sell enough online and uh, this is all I need. <laughs> like, there's not this also, there's not this idea of like just more, 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 you know, in mm. terms of getting the money and yeah, that has certainly been one of the blessings of uh, the internet and being able to sell, you know, directly to customers online. If you have your own business, I'm seeing so many beautiful designers now doing that and they they don't care that much about the fame and the fortune. I mean, it's a different set of values, even when I, when I was a kid or when I, you know, growing up and, and uh, you know, it was all, everyone just sort of wanted to be rich and famous. It's not really yeah. about that anymore. You know, it's a, oh yeah, you want to be able to tell your story, but not for the purpose of fame or fortune. I know young people. Oh, I'm just so impressed by young people today and just seeing how they are all working with each other. And I think that's why we have these really big, hard conversations around, around our, our culture and racism and gender and identity and body representation. All of these conversations, I believe, are happening because of these young people mm -hmm. who are just not accepting it anymore. And, um, yeah, it just has, I think it's just changing everything across the board. I would think with uh, so many young uh, people, um, especially, you know, young Indigenous people really going through tough stuff, like really tough stuff in the, in so many remote communities. And it's just, you know, 
gut-wrenching to think of of the suicide rates and the and so many of them looking for direction and um how this kind of um artistic expression could really maybe help them are you is that something else that you're working on sage trying to reach uh you know young people in in different communities and trying to get artists or designers to perhaps work with them yeah we do have most of the designers we work with they're on reserve it's important to me to foster those relationships i don't know if it's exactly going in and doing like a workshop or something with young people but I think how do we foster our communities to continue those practices like how we were talking about how I learned from my auntie my sister learned from my auntie and she made her sit there like so how are we encouraging just those family dynamics to happen in in communities and I I do hope that by having this platform and all of the aunties and young people there's a lot of really young people who we present that that does create um some like a, a jumping off point for to for that to go back to the communities that's where it lies is that like we have responsibilities to each of our own communities and there is a lot of work that I hope proliferates beyond my own community I'm from English River First Nation and I like to go back and you know and I stay in touch with my family to really help kind of encourage like what are the possibilities um so I do hope a lot of other Indigenous, young Indigenous people and aunties and grandmas are, are doing that in their own communities. And we definitely all do have a responsibility to, to do that. Well, you're definitely a, a, a beacon of light, uh, Sage, everything <laughs> that you stand for and uh, everything that you've really been able to turn us on to. In, uh, in the few years that you've really been on the scene, you've made uh, <laughs> quite an impact and I'm sure will uh, continue to do so. Any, any real hopes uh, and dreams for yourself at this point in time? I know you're involved in so many different projects. My hopes are just to continue to see younger people and be excited and motivated and see that there is a place for them. So that's, that's where I'm at right now. Yeah. yeah, sounds like you're in a pretty good place right about now and continued <laughs> success and anything I can personally ever do for you uh, and the community. Um, I'm there for you. I, I, I so believe in you. Thank you so much, Sage Paul, for being on this episode of Beyond Style Matters. Thanks for listening. To see video versions of the podcasts, check out tsc.ca slash style matters. Till next time, I'm Jeannie Becker.